Lord, we come before you and we just thank you for this day. We ask you to bless this time of study and, and as we look at your word and see what you'd have us to learn from this. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Esther, chapter 2. Last week we covered Vashti being deposed, which was setting up the scene that we're getting ready for. So, chapter 2. After the, these things, when the wrath of the of the king Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto them, to him, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the providences of, of his kingdom that they may gather together all the f fair young virgins to Susan the palace in the house to the house of the women, under the custody of Hegei, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their things of, for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleased the king be queen instead of Vashti, and the thing pleased the king, and he did so. So we'll stop there for just a moment. All right, so last chapter we found that Ahasuerus got very angry about the queen not coming at his call when he was drunk and how that call was not something that she should have come to anyway. And uh, we start with this one that uh, after his wrath, his hot anger was appeased or abated, he remembered Vashti. And he did love Vashti. She was beautiful and he loved her and, and he's kind of regretting his decision but now there's nothing that he can do about it because he's made his decree and the thing we learn about the decrees in this uh, kingdom was once they were made they couldn't be changed so he's sorry he made this decree he loved her she was beautiful and now he's remembering so the ministers kind of get together and say hey you know why don't you just check out the kingdom for some other beautiful girls <laughs> to be brought to you maybe one of them basically maybe maybe one of these new other girls can uh, <laughs> take her place you know you'll like her as much or even more and so the, the king appointed officers in all the provinces of the kingdom, that's 127 province, provinces, that they may gather all the young, uh, fair young virgins in Susan, uh, unto Susan the palace. So this idea of the fair young virgins, fair means that they're, they, they were fair to look at, their form, they're, 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 they had beauty in their form. <laughs> And so you got 127 people looking throughout their territories to send women to Sushan. So he's probably going to get at least one from every province, if not <laughs> two, three, four, five, you know, however many they think it's going to take to appease him. But there's going to be a lot of young girls <laughs> coming to the palace. Because you know they're all going to find at least one because nobody wants to be the one that didn't send. No, but none of them would want to be the one that sent nobody. So you've got 127 people looking for the, the prettiest girls, virgins in their, in their territory. And I can believe that most of them sent two, th you know, two to ten you know, girls if they could find that many pretty girls in their area. So there are going to be a lot of people coming to, to his harem beside, to take Vashti's place. And so they were all to be given to the custody of Hega, the king's chamberlain or eunuch, and he was the keeper of the women. And he was to, and he was to get them things for purification processes according to their rules. And purification literally means to scrub and clean and, and 
and make themselves even more presentable. They're the best looking girls in their area and they're gonna come here and, and be made more presentable <laughs> is what's gonna happen. And it says, and let the maiden or the, the marriable aged girl that pleases the king be queen instead. So he's gonna have lots of choices. You know, anywhere from a hundred and minimum of 120 to maybe as many as a thousand, 1,270, somewhere in that ballpark. Because you know none of these guys are going to be acute, want to be accused of holding back. So they're going to send the most beautiful women. Now in Sushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, the Benjamite who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away in Jehoiachoniah, king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadashah, which, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his daughter. So now we're introduced to the next two major characters in this story, next to the king. And so we have first Mordecai. He's a Jew. He is of the lineage of Benjamin, which was the lineage of Saul. And Kish and uh, Shimeel should be familiar because Shimeel was the one that cursed David when, on his way out. And David told Solomon to make sure that he paid for it after he left. So this guy, his lineage lineage towards Saul and he, then it tells us specifically that he was carried during Jeconiah's king of Judah was carried away. Jeconiah was the second to last king of I, I, uh, Judah and so he's taken away during that that purging. So that tells us that he was one of the wealthy people because it, when they got done taking it only the poor and the lower classes was left and so he's taken away and then it introduces Esther the main character of the story and it said, it said he brought Hadashah which was her, Egypt, uh, her Jewish name and that meant Myrtle and then they named her in the Arab language Esther which means star and she is obviously a young cousin to Mordecai so because she's much younger than he is obviously from this story because she's going to be taken in and it says that she was fair which is that beautiful in form and then the next part, she was also beautiful, which was her, when you looked at her, it grabbed your sight. There's something about her that makes her very beautiful. Beyond just the form and everything, there's the, the radiance. You know, we all know what beauty, beauty is, and beauty kind of changes with each generation. And I remember, you know, even, even just in the last 70 years for America, beauty has changed from people that had larger, plumper bodies to these little tiny skinny sticks that can be broken. Uh, so we see that beauty in and, in and of itself changes. And for years, it, you had to have a very strong woman. And if you had somebody who was frail and fragile looking, she wasn't considered all that beautiful because she was not useful to you. Uh, if you lived out in a, in a farm, you wanted somebody who could haul, help haul the stuff, you know, and it's, you didn't want somebody frail, and that was not a beautiful person. Your beautiful person was somebody you would consider, you know, not so beautiful today, maybe. And so, but in this, whatever the standard of beauty was, Esther filled it out greatly. <laughs> and uh, and Mordecai, Mordecai was, her, was her guardian, basically. He took her in to be his daughter. He adopted her. 
And verse 8, So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together into Sushan the palace, into the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also into the king's house to the custody of Haggai, the keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness from him, and he speedily gave her things for purification, with such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens, which were met to be given to her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place in the house of the women. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. So here we see Esther being brought in. And it, and it says that, you know, many maidens were gathered into Susan, the palace, and were given into Haggai. And Esther was part of that group, the keeper of the women. And so all these women are brought in. They're put into a house that is the preparation house. Uh, part of the harem. The harem's broken up into two sections. Those who are being prepared to be brought before the king and those who had been with him at some point. And so they're brought in and it, it says that uh, when she came in, in verse 9, and the maiden pleased him, that is Haggai, and she obtained kindness for him, from him. So this pleased was, it pleased his eyes. He liked what he saw in Esther. And you figure he's seeing hundreds of women at this point in time, and all of a sudden, here's Esther that grabs his attention, which tells us how beautiful she must have been to be, to be a, a standout beauty amongst all the beautiful girls that were coming in, means that she had some beauty. And I believe it also shows how beautiful her personality was, because we're going to see how she, how she acted and how she brought attention, how she got even greater favor. But he, she initially grabbed his attention and pleased his eye. And he says he speedily gave her the stuff she needed for purification. It's almost like he moved her to the head of the line. <coughs> okay, we've got all these girls, but here, have your stuff now. Uh, and I don't know what it was. It doesn't tell us what it was about. But he saw something in her that, that he used to promote her. And he gave her seven maidens and I'm sure each one of these women were given at least one or two attendants people that took care of them combed their hair got their clothes ready because these girls were being pampered to be royalty poss possible royalty and so they would have people to attend to all their needs so that they could just pay attention to keeping themselves looking good and they probably helped with that combed hair washed the hair oiled the hair whatever else it took to to be done <laughs> For, for whatever they considered beauty treatments. And he said he preferred her and her maidens to the best part of the house, best place in the house of the women. Now, and I don't know exactly what that meant, but there's probably a higher pavilion or something. She was given a place where she'd be seen, a place where she would be stand out, you know, whatever the best room of the, of the harem was or the best section of the harem was, she was given that area. And he promoted her. He, he, he grabbed, he gra she grabbed his attention, won his heart, as well as the king's heart in the, in the later on. And so he was trying to take care of her as best she could. And then this little statement that's going to keep getting mentioned. Esther did not show her people or her kindred, did not say that she was a Jew. And why they were keeping that a secret at this time, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they thought that uh, Hazarius would not 
choose her if she was a Jewish girl or, but there was, he was telling her, stay silent about this. Don't tell, don't share this yet. And then it says, Mordecai walked day by, every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. So he's kind of pacing back and forth. <laughs> What's happening in there? How, how, is she, how is she coming along? And we're going to see why he's pacing later on in the story, but there's a, there's a strong reason why he's pacing as he goes through this. And he wanted to see, was everything working right? Was she, was she getting, getting the recognition? Was she going to win the king's heart? which is one of his concerns at this point in time. And we see this story developing. Vashti's re rejected the beauty contest. Basically a beauty contest is going on because the one who catches his eye and pleases him most is going to be made queen. So the prize is a big one for these girls. So we, we see that coming up. Now when every maid's turn was come to go in into the king Ahasuerus, after that she, after that she had been Twelve months, according to the manner of the women, so were the days of their purification accomplished, to wit, six months with oil of myrrh, six months with sweet odors, and other things for the purification of women. Then thus they came every maid unto the king, whatsoever he, she desired was given to her to go with her out of the house of the women unto the king. In the evening she went on, went, and on the morrow she returned unto the second house of women, into the custody of Shahazgaz, the king's chamberman, which kept the concubines. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her, and she was called for by name. So this is, as you see, is more than a beauty contest because they were, they went 12 months to get ready. And this seems like a long time for any of us, but they're, they're taking 12 months to totally get themselves they say purified, but it is to be cleaned up and, and have their hair done just right and grow it just right. They, they probably had people that were able to help them get their hair done to the exact shape of their face or whatever, and you know maybe even to whatever the king liked, you know, so they could try to please him. And it says that they spent six months with oil of myrrh, and then six months with other sweet perfumes. So they're, they're perfuming their bodies, they're, they're cleaning up, they're dressing up, they're getting their hair done, all these things for 12 months. And then when they finished that time, they had a chance to go in and look at the jewels and the clothes and pick out whatever clothes they want. And it says here in, in King James, given her, but it really means that they bestowed or entrusted. Uh, they weren't being given these things for the rest of their time, but they were saying, oh, anything you want here to wear before the king, you can, you can choose. And so they had this chance to try to please the king in their dress, in their jewels. And they went into the king in the e at, the, at the sunset, and then they left at sun, sunrise, which means that there was much more than just a beauty contest going on here. He was actually sleeping with them, and each one in turn and sending them home, or not sleeping with them, depending on how he felt when they got there. They each had one night with the king. And it literally, we can know that with this king, he was not just talking to them all night. You know, and because they went, they, when they returned, they went to the chamber of the concubines. And so we see that this was a one-time shot for the, most of these girls. They were not going back home even when this was done. They came, they went in with the king, and then they became part of his harem. So he's developing a very large 
harem, because we don't know how many people were in his harem before this started, but we know that there's at least one from every province, if not more. He's going to have a very large harem when he gets done. And it says that they were not allowed to come back into them unless he asked for them by name. And so I don't know how he's going to keep track of all these people. He's probably got somebody with a list on there, who came what night, and, and maybe a quick description of them so that he goes, I want this person that came in on this night and looked, you know, had the, had the uh, blonde hair and, and blue eyes, and that's who I want, you know. They came in. Uh, they came in on this night between between these two people, yeah, uh, and go get go get them. But this is a huge thing. So this kind of explains why Mordecai is pacing outside. You know, is she been accepted? Is she just one of the concubines? You know, what did he think about her? And so he's pacing back and forth with no knowledge because he can't go into the he can't go in to see if she's even gone in. He can't go and. She can only do so much with her messages, probably, because she's not even royalty yet. She's in line to be seen by the king. And it would not be appropriate, even though he is her guardian, it's probably not appropriate for her to send messages to him that much. So we have these issues out there. He's wandering back and forth, getting whatever news he can. And she's probably sending her maids out once in a while, you know, go talk to him and tell him this and tell him that. But we see, because we're going to see that, she, that he com communicates with her later on. And so all of this is going on. The women become concubines. They don't get to return home after this because they are no longer virgins. When they've gone in to sing, see the king, they've ceased to be virgins. They're now part of, his, part of his harem that he can go into and deal with whenever he wants to. And this is coming on. So this is not just, this is not just let's go parade the beautiful girls and let them go, you know, and the one who doesn't win his heart gets to go home. This is a permanent change of address for these girls and change of status. Verse 15, now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihiah, the, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go into the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain and keeper of the women, appointed. And Esther attained favor in the sight of all them that looked at her. So Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus, unto his royal, house royal in the tenth month, which is the tenth month, tenth month, tenth breath, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in the sight, in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So Esther's turn comes, and you, can, you see the sweetness of her spirit and her desire, and maybe even the subtlety. She, she asks... Haggai, what she should wear to see the king. Now, this is kind of an interesting, interesting term. Number one, it's showing that she is submitted enough to say, I want a man's opinion of what I should be going in with, because he already has been drawn toward her. But it also, Haggai has known the king for a little longer than she has. He might even know what, what the king likes. Because the king may have said, I want this girl, and this is how I want her dress, you know, want her want her dressed when she comes in, or this is what, I liked her because I saw this. And she's banking on that idea, that he will know what the king likes, but at the very least, he knows what he likes, which is he's a man and he's more likely to pick something that the king will like. So this is quite a strategy from Esther to, be, be a, to have the approval of the king by using a man's opinion of what looks good, not just what she thinks looks good. So it's quite a, quite a 
twist here, but it also shows that that sweetness and softness in her could be subtle, subtle guile as well. But then I want to, I would choose to say that it's her her kindness. You know, you tell me what will you know what would look good, what he will, what he will like, and so he she takes only what he gives her to put you know to recommends for her. And then that little statement at the end, and, the, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked on her. So however he advised her to dress and, and put on, it looked good even in the women's court, in the women's house. Okay, so this is, this is kind of interesting, the, the beauty she must have. And it seems to be true of a lot of these Jewish girls that they have a huge amount of beauty that, because we saw Abraham with Sarah, his wife, who in her 70s and 80s, Abraham was afraid that she was going to be taken into the, into the harem of these kings, you know, at, even at that age. And, and then we saw the same thing with Rebecca. We see the same thing with uh, Rachel. They all seem to be great beauties that grab people's attention for whatever that means. And we've all seen people that just are so beautiful they grab attention, and not, not because they're clad with nothing, but just because of their sheer beauty, they grab people's attention. And Esther obviously was one of these, one of these women. And it says that she was brought into him on the 10th month of the seventh year of his reign. And this gives us a clue of how long things have go been going. We know that it's taken them a year just to get ready to go see the king. Okay? But this seventh year tells us that it has been four years since the start of the book because his first feasts were in his third year. So we have that long time in between here. You know, he started his feast and then he went on for a year, almost a year. So we are a good, solid two years from the start of this book before Esther ever gets to see the king. So we have a long time since Vashti's been disposed and he hasn't had a queen set at his side. Lots of concubines, but no queen. And Esther's taken into him on the seventh year. And then it says, the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. Again, this talks about her beauty. Haggai saw it because he, he, he really saw her and said, this is, basically he said, this is the one. He kind of picked the winner even before anybody started, the, started it. And he gave her all kinds of special treatment, seven maids, and gave, made sure she got all that she wanted and, and needed for the, for the year. Put her in the best part of the house, knowing that she was going to be special. She offered to say, hey, what should I wear? And he, he told her the, you know, the jewels and the clothes and what she should wear before the king. And then the king saw her and fell in love, which is quite a, quite a task because it says he loved her above all the virgins. And he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And we're going to see later on how much he loved her. He fell in love with Esther in a very strong and hard way. And it's going to last, you know, because she's going to ask some, th some hard things of him as she goes along. And we're going to see how he really did love this girl. And we, she had beauty, she had grace, and, and whatever else, he, it, he loves her. And then he says, after the, in verse 18, Then the king made a great feast unto all his princes and his servants, even 
even Esther's feast, and he made a release to the province and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had not showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther did as the command did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. So the king has a feast. This king loves to feast, obviously. <laughs> and, he and he calls it Esther's feast. Okay, he, he is making a feast for Esther and he made a release, and this literally is a holiday. Okay, he's making her coordination, cor cor coordination, coordination a holiday in the kingdom. And you know, and he's and it says, and he gave gifts. <laughs> uh, so this is a really special thing. I mean, this is great, great time for him. He's having a big feast to celebrate his new, his new queen. He's giving people gifts because of her, and he's having a big celebration. Then it says, and they gathered the the virgins together a second time, and Mordecai sat at the king's gate. So Mordecai is there. He is now seeing that Esther has been accepted. And probably to his greatest delight, she is now queen. And I'm sure part of the reason he wanted to keep it quiet was that now she's queen. Now if and when they need, need somebody, there's somebody in place. And the, here we are with a... All, you can already see some of the intrigue. Mordecai very clearly understands court intrigue and and political savvy, and we're going to see that he really understands it later. But he is setting things up. He's the man behind the power in this case and saying, good, we have somebody up there. He loves her. She's been chosen above all these others. We have somebody in place. And that's the whole purpose of this, is to get Esther in place to save her people from destruction later on. Not that anybody knows it at this place, but I'm, I'm almost... I can picture Mordecai, I, you know, being a kind of a political guy, saying, "Okay, may not need her, but we've got we've got somebody in place. We can get to go back home. We can we can get money going home. We we can get all kinds of things going because we have somebody on the inside, you know, that is going to be able to help us." And uh, so Mordecai is there watching her, and, and Esther is still being quiet. She hasn't hasn't changed her mind. She hasn't hasn't uh, come forth to reveal who she is. And then verse 21, In those days, while Mordecai sat at the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, Teesh, Teresh, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the thing was made known unto Mordecai, who told it to Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when an in Inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hung on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. So Mordecai, while he was sitting in there, overheard uh, two door guards, basically, that were angry with the king and were plotting his assassination. Now, why they would be talking out in the open, I don't know, but they did, and Mordecai, Mordecai overheard it, and they wanted to lay their hands on the king and kill him. And the thing was made known to Mordecai, who told it to Esther. And Esther then told it to the king. <laughs> and they did an investigation. And sure enough, they found out that they were guilty. And they hung him. And then we have a little bit of a pre-shadowing here. And the thing was written in the Chronicles before the king. 
So this little note was put in there. Mordecai reported these two traitors, and they were found guilty, and, and they were hung. Just a quick little sentence in the, in the book. No big deal. No, no, you know, it was just recorded. All right, verse, chapter 3. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadiah the Agiite, and advanced him and set him in a seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, and the king, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were within the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why transgress you the king's commandment? Now it has come to pass when they spoke daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for he, they had shown him that it, the people of Mordecai, whereafter Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. All right, so we're having now the big, the big problem getting set up. Haman was promoted. An Agatite, which was one of the enemies of the Jews, and he was raised up and made basically second in command under the king. Okay, he, was, he was given a lot of, lot of, a lot of things. And when he came along, people bowed. And we, it doesn't tell us exactly why Haman did not bow down. I'm sure he bowed down to the king, because that would have been the king in there. Why not Haman? Because I don't know. But it, says that, it says here that the king had given a command, uh, as, as, Lord, as the king had commanded. He's second in command. You're, you're to reverence him. And Mordecai did not. Now, whether it's because he was one of the Jewish enemies and he didn't want to bow down to a Agiite, that's possible. Uh, maybe he didn't think it was worthy to bow down to anybody but the king. That's possible. It doesn't really explain to us why, but he wouldn't. And after a while, the servants are seeing this man not bow down, and basically they're wondering, is Mordecai, is Haman going to put up with this? You know, this man is not honoring him like the rest of us. Is is Haman going to put up with this? If he's putting it up with it, if he's going to put up with it with Mordecai, why are we bowing down when when he gets away with it? We all know how this would go. You now we're all bowing down to this one because we're told to. He's not. If he's not going to be made to, we're not going to bow down to him. So we hear a whole lot of struggle going on here. This is a big power struggle going on, be, beginning to form. Haman has to decide what's going to happen. He should just punish Mordecai, but it's not what he wants to do. And in verse 4, Now when it came to pass, they spoke daily unto him. They, he hearkened not unto them. And they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matter would stand before him. For he had told them that he was a Jew. Verse 5, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. He got mad. And again, wrath is that hot, boiling emotion that runs up. And, you, and when people get angry, like to, especially to that degree, they're going to do things that are going to bring hurt, either to themselves or even to others and then themselves because they've gone too far. And he is 
boiling mad. He's seeing red. He's, he's, he's ready to probably have him killed in, in and of it. And when he's in verse uh, 6, and he sought scorn to, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him that Mordecai, where, whereof Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom. Okay, the, he's already of a group that's, a, that's an enemy to Jews, so he's going, okay, I'm not going to go just after Mordecai. I am going to go after all the Jews. Every Jew in the empire. And remember, the empire goes from Egypt to India and all through the uh, Arab areas in the Middle East. So he's wanting to kill probably hundreds of thousands, if not upward to a million. And uh, he is deciding that he's going to go after the whole group. And this is why they kept bringing up, Esther has not said, Esther has not said, Esther has not said. Because I can guarantee you that if he had known that Queen Esther was a Jew, he would never have tried to kill all of them. He would have just gone after Mordecai. And it says, in the first month, the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king of Ahaziah, so Esther has been queen now for five years because she was brought before him in the seventh year. Now we're here at the five years later in the twelfth year of Ahaziah's, they cast purr, that is a lot, before Haman from day to day, and from month to month, to the twelfth month, that is Adar. So we're seeing him, he's trying to, he's, they're casting lots. When am I going to, when am I going to try, when am I going to start this? When am I going to start this? And so he's, they're casting a lot. And if it doesn't come up the right number, he says, okay, next month, next month, next month. Uh, and pur is just means cast a lot, which we'll need at the end. We'll need that information at the end of the book. Verse eight. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There are certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep the, them the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have charged for the business, and bring it into the king's treasure. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamiadol the Agiite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then there were the king's... Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people to every province according to the writing thereof, to every people in their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by the post unto the king's provinces to destroy and to kill and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is in the month they die, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. The copy of the writing and the commandment was given to every province and was published unto all the people that they should be ready against that day. And the post went out, bearing, being hastened by the king's command, and the decree was given unto Sushan the palace. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Sushan was perplexed. All right, we're going to look at this plan of Haman's. 
Haman went in and basically told the king, it's kind of a half-truth that you know, they, they, there's a group of people in your, in your land and they have their own laws. That was true. They have their laws and they were still keeping their laws. They were following the Jewish feast, the Jewish rules. The Jewish rules kept them much more in obedience to the king than, than anybody else's because God's rules kept them good. You know, it's, you didn't lie, you didn't steal, you didn't cheat, you, you know. So they're, they're rules. But Haman's problem with them, of course, was that they didn't bow down to him and because he thought he was something special. And it said that they're different and they, and you know what, king, you shouldn't even allow them to live. And this is kind of an interesting thing because he's talking about a lot of people in the kingdom and he's basically telling the king uh, there's a lot of people there's people here that are different and you should just kill them that's going to destroy his tax base and if he really thought about it these are merchants these are people who are running businesses this is this is really a tax base that's going to be attacked when he when this goes through but uh, King Ahasuerus while he was a good general was not the wisest man he couldn't couldn't control himself when it came to women and drink and and here it is, he can't control himself on the day-to-day -day processes of, of running his kingdom. And he's not even questioning what Haman says. I mean, this also shows us how advanced Haman had gotten into that kingdom to get the king's ear. The king had promoted him to the highest, second highest position, which meant that he trusted him. Because you don't promote somebody to your right hand, your second position, unless you trust him. And he just came in and said, hey, there's a group of people that need to be destroyed, king. Okay, go ahead and do it. <laughs> Uh, without, without, it does, it indicates that he didn't even ask him what people it was that, that he's wanting to have destroyed. And then Haman goes on, if it says, if it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those that will, are in charge of the business to bring into the king's treasury. So basically saying, you know, hey king, I want, you know, we really should kill these, and I'll pay for the killing of them. So yeah. we'll get money. You know, well, he's getting a little bit of money, but in the long run, he loses money, but or would have lost money. But he's saying, but you know, and I'll pay for your, I'll pay for the soldiers that have to go out and do this. I'll, I'll pay for their, their time and, and their effort to do this. And then the king took his ring, and we've talked about this at various times. The ring was a signet ring. When letters were sealed, they were wrapped up, uh, scrolled up, put waxed on, and the seal was put on there to show that this was sealed by somebody okay in this case the king it's having the king's seal on it and what that seal meant is that the contents of this letter are true and original or the contents of this envelope or box or whatever it was you were sealing are true have been inspected by the person who's put the seal on and you could know that this is a correct statement and because if you broke the wax and the seal you wouldn't be able to seal it back up because the seal would not be there to be stamped into the wax. And people would know that it had been opened, and once it had been opened, you could no longer trust that the contents were correct. And this is what God says when he seals, and the Holy Spirit seals us. Basically, it's God's stamp on, I have approved of the contents of this, of this letter or box, which is us, and this is my seal that it is genuine and real. And this is what it means here. He's sealing the letter. The king has approved this letter, and it is genuine. As long as the seal is not broken, it is genuine and be obedient. And so he, 
he took the ring and gave it to Haman. And he said to the Haman, take the silver. The silver is given to you and the people also to do with them what seems good. So he says, take the money you're given directly and deal with it. It's given to you to, to pay out. And so we have this big problem being set up. Letters are going out to kill all the Jews. <laughs> and the, the, verse 12, then, then were the king's scribes called on the 13th day of the first month, and there was written to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and the governors that were over every providence and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof, to every people after their language in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. So he grabs all the scribes that can write in all the different languages because you can imagine how many languages there are in 127 provinces stretching from Egypt to India. And he says, write it in their own language. There's going to be no question about this, this letter. It's not going to have to be translated there. We want it written here in their language. And so this is a very important step. He's going, Haman is trying to cover all the bases. And he's sending the commandments to the, the lieutenants, to the governors, and then to all the people. Because we're going to see that all the people are invited to make this killing. And Haman showing his anger, showing his, his really dark heart in all of this. And it says, letters were sent by post into the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all the Jews. And uh, kind of interesting in this. To destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's really emphasizing this. You know, destroy them, kill them, and make sure they're dead. <laughs> and this is a trip, basically one of those triple, even though it's not the same exact word, it's the same, same meaning for each of these words. You know, that he's saying, you are to make sure that they are obliterated, basically. And young and old, male and female, you know, he is, you know, making sure that they're all, it's going to be, when is it going to happen? The 13th day of the 12th month. So he's given them a year to pr prepare for this, or just shy of a year. And so the people are getting these messages, and it's going to take a while, even though their post was very advanced, it's still going to take a while to get a message from Shushan all the way to India. Okay, that is not a short, that's not a short trip even by today's standards. It's a couple hours by airplane, or a couple days by motor vehicle that can travel day and night for 24 hours. So you're figuring, even on swift horses, this is going to take a while <laughs> to get all the way there. It's also going to take a while to get from Shushan to Egypt. Though it's not as far as uh, India is, it's still, he's planning to take two or three months to get this information out. And so here we are, we're setting up the stage. You've got, you've got 12 months as of the writing, but by the time you get it, it's probably only going to be six months. Uh, maybe nine, you know, so nine to six months before the action's gonna happen. And it says, a copy of the writing was given to every province and was published unto all the people that they should be ready against that day. In other words, here's the, here's the king's command. Get ready to act. Get ready to perform this deed. And I can't imagine what it would mean to people, you know, especially if they were living next to a Jew and they'd like, you know, especially if they liked them, and all of a sudden they're going to go, oh, they're going to be killed. This whole community is going to be killed 
and they're going to start separating from them because there's, they don't want to be associated with them and accidentally killed. So they've got time to pull away and sever. sever. The Jews are going to have time to gather together and try to say, you know, live in fear for, for half a year to, to a year. And the post went out and out being hastened by the king's command. In other words, his stamps on it, his command is get it there as fast as you can. This was no, this was no slow postage on it. It was the fastest horse rider was going to take it and he was going to swap out the horse ride. You know, this was get it out there and get it out there quickly. And it says the king and Haman sat down to drink. Now, no big deal to either one of them. We're going to kill a lot of people, but let's just have some fun. We're going to, get, we're going to drink. But it says Sushan was perplexed. And we know that a number of the Jews were in, in, in Sushan, and many of them seem to have been in places of authority. We've got Mordecai, who was able to sit at the gate. And sitting at the gate made you one of the people that were in charge of things. You were part of the leading, the leaders. So we've got at least Mordecai, if not other Jews, who are given position of authority. They're, they're respected. They're yeah, leaders. They heard about plotting against them in the last year. <laughs> That's yeah, you heard him at the gate. So he spends his time at the gate, which shows that he's, some, he's somebody. He's not, a, he's not a nobody in the town because you don't sit in the gate without being somebody. Right. So Mordecai is, you know, he's not up there at the top of the list. He's not a, he may not even be an A-lister. You know, he's not invited to all the parties and everything, but he is important enough to be at the gate. And he, and he has saved the king's life. And, you know, and we're seeing a big setup here. But they don't know he's a Jew. Yeah. Well, they know he's a Jew. Oh, oh, yeah. They know he's a Jew. He's the one that everybody's mad at. So he sits at the gate. He's refusing the, the advice of the others that sit at the gate. He's got the queen sitting beside him on the throne. They don't know Esther. And they don't know Esther's a Jew. And so we've got these key, key people in key places that are ready to take and move to save the Jewish people. And it shows God's hand. God has put people where they're needed. He's put Queen Esther next to the king. He's put Mordecai at the, at the gates. He's, he's ready to show his power. And all of this has started five years before when she gets promoted, which is nine years before the story, before Vashti was kicked out. So we're, we're seeing how God works and how he works at, a, at his pace. Because man would have said, well, gee, so we got a Jew in, the, in there, you know, big deal. She's been there for, you know, for nine years now, you know, what, what's this big deal? God moves pieces, and I've seen this over the years, is how God will set and move pieces around for just what needs to happen later on. I've seen him prepare for different pastors to come in by moving pieces, moving people in and out of the church to prepare for the new pastor over the years. I've seen him, you know, arrange things in business world so that somebody can be promoted. You, know, you watch him and people go, oh, it's just luck, it's just coincidence. No, it's God behind the scenes moving everything the way it needs to be moved for preparation and bringing in the right people at the right time to make sure that something happens. And sometimes he moves them in years in advance so that by the time he's ready for them to be used, they have been, they have been raised up to whatever level they need to be to, to help with the promotion of somebody else or, or bring in just the right change. 
And God does that. And here's what he's doing in the book of Esther. He raised up Mordecai so that at least he could get Esther into the competition. Vashti gets de deposed and, and Esther comes in at just the right time to be the most beautiful girl amongst the, the, whole, the whole group with the right spirit that pleases the king to be promoted. And five years later, we start seeing that Haman is getting ready to try to kill all the Jews. And so it was all these moves that God had to put people. And it, in five years, Esther's been able to not just win his heart, but show him that it was rightly given to her so that he is going to honor her when she has to do things that are against the customs to save her people. And so we're going to see all of this coming together in a, in a mighty way, but it all just shows how God is the one behind everything, preparing people's hearts, preparing people's places. And I've seen this, like I say, I've seen it over and over in my lifetime. And if we get spiritual and we start looking at it and say, wow, look what God did to do this and do this. He brought this person into this place and touched this person and this person learned, learned this. And, and then this all happened. <laughs> to test it and, it, and, it, and it, all of a sudden God was glorified because of how he worked everything out. And when we see it from a biblical, scriptural way, it is great blessing to see how God works. And sometimes we don't see it real quick. It took, it took Abraham 70 years before he was, you know, finally being obedient enough to, be, to get his, and get his blessing. We see Noah spending 200, uh, 120 years building an ark to save the people, preaching, as we're told in, in Hebrews, and nobody responding. Uh, we see other prophets who are told, you're going to preach, but nobody's going to respond. I would hate to have that job. I'm going to preach for my entire life, and nobody's going to respond to my message. That would be a terrible call. Uh, other people killed because of their beliefs sent out. Somebody like Jonah who runs away from God is sent back to Nineveh, preaches a gospel, you know, and his message was that you're going to be destroyed in, in, in 40 days. <laughs> there was no love. There was no compassion. It was just, you're going to be destroyed. <laughs> they repented and God relented for about 120 years from, from destroying Nineveh. So, but his message was so straightforward, blunt, you're going to be destroyed. <laughs> And then he got mad at God when God gave, gave him grace. <laughs> you know, so we see all these things, how pe God can use people even if, even if it isn't their plan. Balaam in the book of Numbers was used the same way. You know, he, God says, okay, you, you've begged and begged. I'm going to let you go, but you can only say what I want. And then he tries to kill him on the way, way to do it because he really didn't want him doing it. And we see all of this stuff going on and how God moves the pieces and, and prepares hearts and, and, and condemns based on the, what he saw and what he did. And we're going to go ahead and close. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how you are behind everything. You are the, one, the mover, the pieces. You are the, the controller. We ask that you will guide and lead us in our daily activities and help us to understand what you would want us to see. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.